Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Marks the second week of the Advent season in the Christian calendar. And as Michael mentioned last week, the word Advent comes from the Latin root Adventus, which means coming or expectation. Now, someone not familiar with Advent might say, well, that's interesting, like, but the coming of what? Well, for tradition, it is the coming of the Christ, God, into this previous to this event, godless world, evidently, is how first century man saw it. Now, that is a view, a model of the universe that, is, that places God somewhere else. It is a classic three-tiered universe where you have a heaven upstairs, an earth in the middle, and a hell downstairs. And the three places are separate from each other and quite distinct, and you can only be in one place at a time. Now that's what we call, now referred to as a paradigm of separation. And this is how the vast majority of people see things. And I'm quite amazed at it sometimes at this point, but that's how it is. And in unity, we don't see things quite that way. Because we think, or I think, that religion and spirituality should be, or have it as its starting point, the idea that God is eternal and everywhere. That's what God as omnipresent means, after all. It's the very definition. And as such, then God is source and God is in everything and everywhere. So that being the framework for unity, there was never a time when God was not in this world. Because as I said before, rationally speaking, that doesn't make any sense. In unity's symbolic view of the Bible, we see every character and every event as representative of something that is going on in our spiritual journey, in our spiritual unfolding. And from that perspective, which is now called a paradigm of oneness, God has always been here. The problem, the issue, is that we have not been aware of that fact. And thus, we had thought and thus manifested in that manner, in a godless manner, if you will. We have. And it becomes a vicious cycle because we think that way, and that's what appears, and it confirms our erroneous thinking, so we keep thinking this way. But thank goodness along comes the advent season of our spiritual unfolding. Advent becomes then that point in our spiritual journey unfolding in which that marks the beginning of a change in that cycle that we were in of erroneous thinking. It is a birth, if you will, symbolically. A birth of our awareness of our eternal divinity, eternal divinity. 
Now, Advent was first celebrated about the fifth century or so in the, in the Christian tradition. And there are four topics during the Advent week, which you know. They are faith, peace, love, and joy. If you wanted to metaphysically sum it up, you could put it this way. You could say, when our consciousness is filled with faith, you will have peace. And when you have peace, you will have love. And when you have love, you will have joy. When we reach that level of consciousness in which we are filled with these godly attributes all the time, then the Christ awareness in you will come forth into manifestation. It will be born, if you will. And at that point, you begin to act and manifest differently. You begin to act and manifestly manifest in a godly manner, which before we were manifesting in an ungodly manner. But you see how it's always us, what it is that we're doing. God has always been here. So metaphysically, that is what Advent and the Christmas season is all about. So this week, we focus on the second attribute, which is peace. And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, unity calls itself practical Christianity. And so that means that not only do we interpret the Bible symbolically in general, but that we also must make some practical sense out of it. We have to incorporate it into our lives because if we don't, if we can't apply what we learn into our daily living, well then it's not really of much value to us, is it? Doesn't seem like it is. So let's talk about peace in general and then we will talk also about some uh, examples of metaphysical Bible scripture that pertain to peace. Now let me ask you something, what comes to your mind when you think of peace? Do you think of world peace? Well, that's a good thing. Wouldn't it be nice to live in a world filled with peace? Wouldn't it? I gotta admit though, my life has been pretty peaceful all throughout my 65 years, if I may say. <laughs> and maybe it's because I just, I don't know. I guess I, I live in a peaceful type of a mindset and so that's what I attract or whatever. But so I've been very blessed in that, in that way, if, if you will. But is there such a place for everybody? Maybe, maybe it's somewhere over the rainbow. Oh no, that was another lesson, Never mind. That was another day, I, I forgot about that. <laughs> I am certain there's such a place somewhere all the time. It, it, it's here, and it's here. It's in our consciousness, that's what happens. What about inner peace? Do you think about inner peace when you think of peace? Peace of mind? Psalms 46 says, be still and know that I am God. I said that earlier. Last week, I was in Bernie. I was invited to go speak in Bernie, and that was nice. Uh, it's a nice little cute little church, and, and they have a book club at 9.30. Their service is at 11. So I went to the book club. I, wanted, I just love book clubs, so I couldn't resist. I went. And they were talking about the untethered soul. And, and they were, we, we brought up the idea, because of the chapter they were reading, uh, of a pendulum, of how a pendulum swings, and how a pendulum has that center point where it's completely calm and completely peaceful. And we were talking the reference, of course, to that's what is in ourselves. That's our center point. That's our peaceful center. And, and we wave one way or the other because, well, that's what we do in expression. But that center point 
is that peace, that stillness, just like the pendulum. Now, what do we sing every week in church at the end? Do you remember? You should. What do we say? Let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me. Aha. Uh -huh. So in New Thought, we say, whatever it is that you want in, you li in your life, you must be that. If you want friends, then you must be a friend. If you want love, then you must be love. And if you want peace, then you must be peace. That's how things work in the way that we see things. I was talking to Nancy during the week, and she brought up an interesting topic. And she said, you know, there's a certain amount of surrender involved with inner peace. And there is. Because I know I had a, you know, I still work. And it was kind of a strange week. Some things, you know, sometimes try as you may, because I produce, I, I etch glass and stuff. Try as you may, sometimes things, they just don't want to work over and over. And, and you fight it with your inner will and say, I'm going to make this work. Say, no, you're not. <laughs> and that's just, and so you have to find that surrender and the inner peace and say, you know what, that's fine. I'm just going to lay back and, and, and let this thing work itself out. Because it's very easy to lose our inner peace during the course uh, of a day or a week. I mean, we all do it, don't we? Let's just admit it. We do. How many of us have lost uh, your inner peace during the course of the week? Right, let me ask you a better question. How many times have you lost your inner peace during this week alone? <laughs> maybe, that's, yeah, maybe that's a better question. Yeah. It's very easy to do. We have to be honest with ourselves. See, the inner, whether we lose our inner peace or keep our inner peace is really up to us. It is our choice. And in this wonderful little book, I don't know if you've read this. Now, you've got to read this stuff. Reverend Vicki, I forgot her last name, talks about something like this. She said, after a recent incident, I was leaving a parking lot at a market when a driver stopped in the middle of the exit. Naturally, the person in front of me stopped, and we waited and waited. And as more and more cars stopped behind me, after much redirection of vehicles, we were all finally free of the tangle. There were very many unhappy and impatient people, in that including myself. When I was finally able to drive away, I, now this is the interesting part, I continued to replay the incident and feed my discontent. Can't let it go, can we? We just can't let it go. And then I caught myself. That's what Michael's talking about before. Yeah, we still have our faults, but now you're starting to catch yourself like, oh, okay. So that, that's a good first start. She said, now I caught myself. Really? Does my peace of mind have so little value that I can toss it aside when someone blocks traffic? It only takes an instant to lose touch with our inner peace. We have a thought, we react to it, we enlarge upon it, we build a story around it. Boy, we love to do that. And we allow it to take hold of our minds. The process happens very quickly, 
and repeats itself over, over and over again without us even being aware of it. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? So inner peace takes on a different meaning or a different perspective when you look at it from that. When she said, really? Do I, is my inner peace that, of that little value that I can toss it out the door that quickly? And when you think about it that way, you say, gosh, get a grip, man, you know? Work it out. <laughs> and that's what we need to do. But that's okay, because we're becoming aware of it. Now, John 14, I read it earlier, says, do not let your heart be troubled. On page 28 of this same book, there is a reference also about another kind of less than peaceful situation that we find in the Bible. And that is when Jesus calms the sea. It, it's, it's actually in all three of the synoptic gospels, which is a really good uh, way of saying that the more synop uh, the gospels that something is in, the greater chance that it is actually something that happened or Jesus said or something because they came from different sources and so they almost come up corroborate each other. And this is what happens. It says, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out and they sailed and fell asleep. A squall came from down the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and it was calm. Where is your faith, he asked them. I think in one of the others it might say, oh ye of little faith. In fear and amazement they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey. Now again, metaphysically speaking, they use the story of a storm. But in fact, it can be anything that happens in your life. Anything that seems like a storm. It can be a divorce, it can be a this, a, lo a loss of a job, you know. The, I mean, it, any, it just comes up. These storms <laughs> appear themselves in all sorts of manners and disguises all the time. And that's not the point. The point is, that it doesn't have to be an actual storm, because remember, maybe you cannot control the wind, but you can't control your thoughts, and you can't control your reaction to events. And that's what they're talking about, about having that power to control that part of it. You can't control everything. You can't, because there's other things in play, but you can't control your reaction to it. And that's what the whole metaphysical interpretation of that scripture would be. Now there's another one there. A reference that I talked about a couple of years ago and, and I had, when I came across it, I said this is a very interesting metaphysical interpretation of Bible. And, and it is about the birth of Jesus. And it says in Luke 2, 7, and she brought forth the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, Jesus was born in a manger because there was no room 
in the end is the story. We all know that. And if we break it down metaphysically, it goes something like this. Well, what does an inn represent? An inn is a place, and any time a place is represented in the Bible, it means a state of consciousness. So we have a state of consciousness. And what is inside the inn? There are people inside the inn, evidently a lot of people, because it was full. Now, metaphysically, people represent thoughts or ideas. So you see where this is going. You put the two together, and you have a state of consciousness that is full of ideas and thoughts, something that we also call a monkey mind, which is very interesting metaphysically. And Jesus could not be born in that monkey mind. The Christ cannot be born in that busy place. It can only be born in a peaceful place represented by the manger. And the first time I heard that, I said, man, that is an interesting little interpretation of that. I think I'm going to run with that one. And so I've said it a couple of times, and I want to repeat it again today, because we have new people, and if you had never heard it, then I think it's very interesting. Just a classic example of how we, you can take any, and we would do that at, at, in the classes that have been taken up there at, at the village. Sometimes they make you read something in the, in the, in the scripture, and see, how can you break this down into a symbolic metaphysical? What is, it, what is the real message behind that scripture? And if, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And you can actually do it pretty good. So I want to leave you with another final scripture, which is John 14, 27. I believe I read that earlier too. It says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give you peace as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, I think it's an interesting qualification that he says, I do not give the peace the world gives. That's almost implying there's a different kind of peace. There is an earthly peace, but there is a godly peace. And I think that's what Jesus is talking about. And that's that peace inside that you have all the time that's always there. It's the peace of God. And it is our task as representatives of God to show that peace of God to the world in our examples by not losing <laughs> our inner peace when somebody cuts us off in traffic. Try it. I mean, you've got, you've, you know what's going to happen. You're going to do it, right? <laughs> You're going to do it. But catch yourself. <sighs> Fail the test. Jeez. Maybe next time. And so you get better and better and better at it. That's how it works, like anything else. But the first thing is to catch yourself doing it. <laughs> because that's a peace. That inner peace is not a peace that is dependent upon earthly conditions. So you have to ask yourself, where does my inner peace lie? Is it contingent upon what's happening on the outside? Or can I always just kind of close the door and, and get back into my little zone and say, no, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my inner peace to get me through this situation, whatever it may be. And like I said, it happens all the time, all the time. So the peace of God can only be found within yourself. 
And it is your choice. This is the point of the entire thing. It is your choice to express it or not express it, to lose your peace or not to lose your peace. So I'll say one last thing. Peace be still and know that I am God. Amen.